Welcome to this episode of Trek This Out, a Star Trek podcast where today we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 10 of Strange New Worlds, the season finale of Quality of Mercy. But before we get to that, uh, let me introduce the lovely crew we have on board today. Um, So we have the ever-adorable Andrea. Hello. The occasionally tolerable Suki. Again, with the... Oh, yes, hello. Sorry, Suki. We do love you, really. Um, And tonight we are joined as a special end-of-season treat by both of the Senior Davis uh, family. Uh, We have uh, both Sarah and somebody whose name I have just forgotten, which means this entire thing is going to have to be redone because I am an absolute... No, no, that's staying in. That is... I'm so sorry. I am having an utter, utter lag. So my name's Steve, and, and it's a Hi, very, Steve. very deep pleasure to be part of what I've considered to be a part of my family. Uh, is. Um, and uh, it's just really important to me to be here and, and feel loved and nurtured here. It's great. I, on the other hand, Lindsay, uh, love you just a little bit more now, because <laughs> I think that's brilliant. It should be noted that A, Steve and Sarah are both sitting in the same window on my computer that says Sarah. Um, I did remember Sarah, to be fair. Um, Steve's the one with the beard. Okay. Don't get it confused with me, though. All right. Yeah, yeah. Generic male generic host issues. Oh, <laughs> bless. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. Whether or not I can remember your name, it's delight to have you all here. Um, I feel like everybody everybody we have today is quite well known to our, to our audience. So I will not make you recount uh, your <laughs> backstories for it. However, does anybody... Maybe just your names. Um, <laughs> does anybody have any Star Trek news they would like to share this week? Andrea? Well, I'm, I'm sitting here with uh, Serious Four more because obviously it's London Film and Comic Con this weekend. Um, there is a, a vastly depleted lineup, but there is a, a Star Trek lineup there and a, a little bit of a Star Trek presence. I know quite a lot of Trek Twitter are there. Um, I know Jerry Ryan's there. Um, who else have I seen? Um, who cancelled? I think what we've discovered is the theme for this week is going to be Lindsay forgetting people's names. Um, <laughs> card, ca- uh, Captain, um, Hologram Man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cabrera's. Yeah. Yes, I think he's there. I think Tim Russ Tim Russ is there. I've seen some Tim Russ photos doing the rounds. Um Marina Service, I think she might be there. Um but it's it's quite a small sort of Star Trek compared to a sort of a destination Star Trek, but it's it's better than Nout, I think, is the uh, and I think everyone's there is having a, a fabby time and um not there and I feel sad. <laughs> but Aww. Um, hopefully I will be making some appearance at some convention at some point soon because I'll miss them but yeah. but not this one this time Fair enough, fair enough Does anybody have any other news? 
We lost a behind-the-scenes person, a significant behind-the-scenes person this week, didn't we? Is it the, one of the model makers on the motion picture and Next Generation? Now, I don't know how to pronounce his surname, but Greg, I'm going Gine, Greg Gine, Greg Jean. So, uh, yeah, he... Um, he did, I think, the Klingon um, destroyer remodel for the motion picture and um, lots of other models for the next gen. So, yeah, good on him. M much missed, I'm sure. Yes, much mm. missed. Uh, talking about the motion picture, I just remembered that the motion picture plus the first five original series movies, they're also coming out on 4K Blu-ray, 4K mm -hmm. HD Blu-ray. So you'll be able to pick them up as a box set. Um, which includes, I think, uh, the extended director's cut of the motion picture, plus, I think, an extended director's cut of uh, uh, the uh, fifth film. Yeah. Yeah. The best well, one, that... Suki. The best one. Oh, which one's the best one? I, I could just remind me. That'd be the final frontier with Cyborg. Oh, is that the one? Yes. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> and the um, so the motion picture, the remastered motion picture, and Wrath of Khan are being released in cinemas, some cinemas again, in the first weekend of September. So mm. we're going with a little gang to geek out at that. I just wanted to point out I am doing this podcast as well today when I should have been at a Doctor Who double bill. Because uh, that was at the pictures, and you know, this is my dedication to the podcast. I haven't, I haven't gone with a few mates to go watch the Doctor Who Double Bill at Wolverhampton. Your sacrifice is appreciated. A Hemmer level of sacrifice you've made there, Suki. Well done. Uh, no, I don't think I would have gone to a Hemmer sort of level, you know, not a <laughs> not, no. I'm, I'm not gonna lie, Suki. If you hadn't been here, I probably wouldn't have cried. That, like, that, like, the Hemmer, the Hemmer, like, sacrifice was like properly like sobbing worthy that would have been sad not perhaps i, I expect you would have cried because you would have had to do the editing <laughs> <laughs> yeah to be fair i have done minimal editing before and it is quite hard work uh, so yes i might have in that instance uh, fabulous any last news before we move on i feel like some people are quite excited uh, to talk about this Actual people jumping up and down people. Actual people jumping up and down. As opposed to imaginary people who may or may not also be called Steve. <laughs> right, okay. So let us have our trailer. What's the situation? At Pulse 4 reported under attack, sir. What's your status? Vessel fired something at us. Fantastic power. Ships incoming, sir. They're firing their weapon. We're being held. Audio only. Human, I have you surrounded. Surrender, or we will destroy you. I think we should attack. Isn't that an act of war? They started it. This isn't a schoolyard. Billions of lives are at stake. This is serious. End of the world, stuff. Fabulous. Okay, so let's do first thoughts. We've had a bit of a run of good condensed first thoughts, so I'm going to start with some other people, Suki, and you can get, get your head in gear and, and make sure that you're in the right zone. Um, so Steve, because I'm now going to have to pick you first for everything to prove that I do know your name. Steve, would you like to give us your first thoughts first? Uh, I think it was excellent. Last week, um, Strange New Worlds does Aliens. This week, it does Sliding Doors. Lovely. 
Fabulous. Uh, Andrew? I'm going to be honest. I tried, I sat down to watch this episode with a cup of tea and a biscuit. And there were just so many points where, like, I, tr- I was going to eat the biscuit, but then, like, my mouth was just like, Ugh! and it took me, like, pretty much 40 minutes to eat a biscuit because it, it just kept interrupting us with things. And I was really, really happy. I tried to watch it a second time. I was going to make notes and I just sat and watched it. Like, I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> Fabulous. Uh, Sarah? Yeah, I I really loved it. I liked all kind of references to um, other series and other plot lines. And I thought that was really well incorporated without feeling like it was just rehashing um, the same storyline. I thought, yeah, as you said, sliding doors, like just a slightly different take on things. Okay. Good episode. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that was very succinct. You get bonus succinct points. Um, so I suspected this might happen, but I am going to be the outlier in the room. I didn't love it. Um, I didn't really get into it. I watched it twice and both times I struggled. Um, however, I think I know why that is. And I'm sure we will uh, delve into that a little bit more as we progress. Um, okay, question, Sarah. Um, was it because it started with food Cause and cooking? Is that why you didn't love it? Because <laughs> I've listened to last week's podcast and I, I feel that this is this is something that you might need to explore further. Not now, but with other people. <laughs> I do have some notes about the cooking. I don't hate the cooking at all. I just have questions about it. I have a lot of questions about it. Uh, this week's question mostly uh, revolves around does Pike only cook Midwestern slash Italian food? I feel like that's a really narrow culinary kind of scope for the future like I feel he should at least have a better earth global like list of like specialties never mind properly intergalactic specialties I want to see him try cooking some gaff or something um or you know a stir fry a stir fry would be good um Suki well you've only seen him cook about three or four times in the whole series so far I've seen him cook about every episode three or four times if you actually look at the, all the times he's actually cooked he's only about three or four times and those those times have just been those whatever he's been cooking he might have made a variety of dishes for all we see we made pasta this week and then he talked about making another Italian specialty next week so <laughs> Steve if this is a series about family and Pike is dad of the Enterprise family, I can entirely vouch for the fact he's got three dishes and he cooks them well, and that's your lot. <laughs> I like it. Bacon, pasta, and <laughs> Um Right, okay. Uh, let, let's start with some positive notes. Um, okay, so... Andrea. Right. Yeah. So go for it. Start start where you would like to start. Tell me all your joys. On was Anson Mount wearing a monster maroon. Get in. It, like, it just set the tone for the whole episode for me. It was like the biscuit just paused. It was like <laughs> it just it made me really, really, really happy. I think it's had a bit of a tweak. I think it's had a bit of a, a reset. I think the sleeves were a bit different. They looked a bit kind of like black and shiny-ish. I don't know what's going on with it. But um, a little bit of a change. But it was definitely, yeah, it was Anson Mountain and Monster Maroon. And it made me really, really, really happy. <laughs> I don't think I need to elaborate on that, Lindsay. I was, I was really aware that they'd gone quite subtle with the ageing up. Like they hadn't, I think, you know, Star Trek has a long history of showing us future versions of characters and they tend to go, like there's lots of jokes about how much older people look 
like in in the series versus when they actually age to that age and they look remarkably good and that's not true um but one of the things that i was really aware of was that i feel like they they dodged the bullet a lot like we didn't really get an awful lot of the two pikes together there was just a lot of like careful shooting and i'm just like guys like we know you can do this because you were doing it in the 90s like deadlock is full of shots where kate mulgrew is acting against kate mulgrew now they're not perfect but they're pretty good and i like i was like they just kept foxing it by like giving us somebody's shoulder and or somebody out of focus it's okay but that's been the case with most of these sort of uh, doppelganger episodes where you've had uh, somebody acting against themselves. You, you, if you don't need to put the effect in, you can just do it with that shoulder or the back of somebody's head. You just don't need it. It's just an extra cost on the special effects budget. So they probably just thought, you know, we could do it well with just having one one pike on one side of the room and the other pike on the other and just cut between the pair of them it's just so much better and you don't need this sometimes because it doesn't come off and you wipe out the wrist when you can just have them separate sarah yeah and i didn't notice at all at no point did i think <laughs> gosh they're not really in the same room together because the shots aren't clever enough so yeah maybe they were right to save the money and you know use it to you know rebuild the monster maroon uniform which is the best? It's the best uniform. It looks really warm, though. Do you not just think it looks really heavy and warm and like, yeah? It's called it's cold in space. Okay. The the other one that had a like a classic um, uniform was Ahura. She had the uh, slight V off the. Uh, Offset on the off on the uh, the chest that uh, uh, original Nichelle Nichols used to wear all the while, right? So I'm thinking uh, there must be other references to uh, classic show, uh, classic uniforms as well. Steve, I like what you were talking with Rachel about last week about how the uniforms have got to do other functions like keeping your Andorians and your Vulcans at the right temperature on a, on an Earth temperature spaceship and i think the monster maroon is more plausible isn't it all those layers and the collars and that's where all that fancy damn stuff going on oh it just looks itchy oh it looks great oh, it's beautiful <laughs> and the, the I, have... I was just gonna say the aging aspect of it how far in the future is this new pike it might only be like 10 years like uh, so in 10 years there's going to be a few more grays a few more wrinkles okay right? so, so it's not going to be that far in the future surely well, you can work that out, can't you? Because he's got to be at least as far ahead as the Wrath of Khan because that's when the Monster Maroon first shows up, don't they? They have the, the motion picture spandex disco bones costumes and then there's the Wrath of Khan and it's, it's got, I think it's got to be quite a while. I think they do it sort of real time as to what it would be from the actors. It's got to be, I think it's about 20 years future 20 years. from... Add, add six years for Strange New Worlds going back before the original series. So it's going to be pushing 30 years in the future, I think. In which case they were very generous with their aging up makeup. Like I feel like they should maybe have gone on like a receding hairline or something. <laughs> like No, you can't I think you can't do that, that with that hair. No. Oh. <laughs> I think this is the problem when you have an actor who's already grey and one of the big signals of aging is that you you turn somebody's hair grey and everyone goes, Oh, they're super old. Like they gave Kate Mulgrew a grey wig and everyone was like, oh! Um But yes, sorry. Uh, I don't know who was that uh, Steve? 
Me, sorry, me. Oh, so I was going to say that um, I think if you make Anson Mount look old and decrepit and pudgy, I think it's a bit like destroying a masterpiece, isn't it? It'd be like putting a moustache on the Mona Lisa. It just shouldn't be allowed. There's no way you can do that to him. Oh, I feel like that hairline's going nowhere either. There's not a, there's not a cowlick in sight, is there? I mean, it's pretty solid that hairline. <laughs> I reckon it's I reckon it's secure. <laughs> Obviously, something happens between like Strange New World and like. TNG that means that people suddenly start aging really fast again like you know the moment they just don't age and then they start aging really fast again later it'll be a thing I'm sure we'll put it down to some kind of genetic anomaly or something um so how do we feel about the uh, the Vulcan the Klingon time crystals making a reappearance um in what seems to be an entirely different function yeah, I think I'm, I'm okay with it. It's a bit of a MacGuffin, isn't it? Whatever, whatever works. They just wanted to tell that story. Um, I think that one thing that we've never really explored in any of these podcasts that might be linked to that is that everyone sees Pike's um, accident as kind of the end of his story, right? And then being in the chair with a flashy light, right? But of course, it's not. That's not the end of Pike's story. He goes to Talos four and gets that future with Vina. So maybe what we saw of him in this episode was not actually something to do with the time crystals, but something to do with with that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't. I think they could have done something with that rather than the time crystal. It's a bit cheesy, isn't it? But yeah, you can live with it. The time crystal aspect, the Klingons showed Pike his future, so he knew what was going to happen to him in. 10 years or seven years according to whatever this uh, timeline is uh, but because he changed his future the, the Klingon monks realized that everything has changed in the future because they are, they can also s- interact with these crystals so they know they know what's going on and they realize where this diversion divergence uh, timeline has come from is when Pike writes this letter to this child who's going to be one of the cadets that gets killed so they realise this is a, a diverging timeline that shouldn't really be happening. They So they need to put it right, and that's why they've got in contact with older Pike and says, look, you've got to sort this out. This is what should have really been happening. And go back, use the time crystal to sort that out. Lindsay? So there are two things there. One, I think, is... There's always two things there. <laughs> Sometimes, Sometimes three. there's three, and then I forget the third one. <laughs> So I think there there are a couple of interesting factors. Like one, I think it's quite interesting. The Klingons, the Klingon monastery and the time crystals. Do they monitor everything? Are they like the original version of the time police, whose name I can't currently remember? Um, the continuity, Starfleet, whatever they're called. Relativity. Uh, there we go. Um, or is it just because they showed somebody their future and therefore they feel like they have an obligation to that particular instance to do a thing? Which is fine, like I can I can headcanon that, but it doesn't make a huge amount of sense. Particularly when you then talk about, oh, you know what the Klingons are like, they want to solve everything with a batleth. Well, that doesn't make any sense. How are they gonna go back in time and solve it with a batleth? Like they're gonna like like I, I, that anyway. Um and the other thing is that the function of the time crystals were to show somebody the future. Whereas the time crystals here appear to have allowed old Pike to hop back and forth. And also to have allowed not Pike, yeah, old Pike to to hop, future Pike or whatever we're going to call him to hop back and forth at various points. Particularly the last hop, which confused me greatly because I thought we were back in the original timeline and we weren't. Um, and also to allow Pike to go forward in time 
and to be an active participant, which is a totally different functionality. And again, maybe it's a slightly different color of time crystal and it's fine. This wasn't really a thing that I was particularly hung up about. It's just, I had a question. So it wasn't what ruined the episode for me. I was slightly perplexed. Sarah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Once you start talking about time travel, you're always going to end up with plot holes and things that don't make sense. And you're going to end up with some sort of MacGuffin to make it all happen. Some sort of trope because the, it's been explored so much kind of throughout um, literature and, and film and television. So it really didn't bother me at all. And actually, I liked the nod to disco. So while while um, Strange New Worlds is meant to be episodic and you're meant to just be able to jump in and pretty much pick up the story, I do quite like that there are little nods to other things if you want if you want to see them, if, if they mean something to you because you've you've seen those episodes or you've seen those series. But actually it doesn't really matter if you haven't. It's it's fine. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't sort of bother us, but I always find the idea of time crystals. It doesn't. It's never sounded very Star Trek to me. Like I can totally cope with the air. Yeah, like we just went round the sun and went back to the eighties and stole some whales. I could totally cope. And like, thinking, I don't know. They're like, like these time crystals in a box. Like it kind of feels a bit. It's got a bit of a fantasy element to it, and I've always found it a bit odd. Like it doesn't seem to quite fit, but it, it served a purpose in the plot. So yeah. like the Bajoran time orb. That. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It, it seems like one of those like just we need to do this. Let's just make up a thing that does it. <laughs> Lindsay, and I suppose now that they've used it twice, it's like a thing, so it's fine. Um, so let, I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna have this conversation now because I feel like I need to have it, and then we can move on from it. So, <laughs> Sarah, you said that the joy of this was that you didn't need to know the stuff to get out to get things out of it. I think that's where I really struggled this week, which also brings me to the point of the fact that I kind of forgotten we'd recorded on the episodes that this is clearly built around. <laughs> like I totally forgotten because I just don't have that intrinsic knowledge. And I just spent the entire episode being like, why is this character behaving like this? And then I'm like, well, is it because they're supposed to be another character? Like, are they are they playing the part of another character? Like, Ortegas has a complete personality change in this episode. Like, it wasn't until the moment where the, the Romulans are... Like, I kind of had a feeling like this was based off a thing that I should recognise. And it wasn't until the Romulans were revealed and we got that very distinctive shot and then Spock raises his eyebrow and I suddenly went, oh, oh, right, okay, this is an actual TOS episode that I've probably seen at least once. But I just spent the entire episode being like, I don't feel like I'm getting this. I, I just I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't because I didn't I didn't remember what Kirk had done originally. I didn't like I just it it really like and I think like I totally knew that lots of people were gonna be loving it and I am so glad that you guys have. But not knowing TOS, I found it really difficult. Andrea. So I think I'm the complete opposite because as soon as like Pike made that kind of jump into the future and there was a wedding, I went, balance of terror. <laughs> It's like oh, I'm like looking at the couple. I'm going oh, one of you is gonna die, um, and, and I kind of like I, that reference was so instant that like it, it, it was like right, I know I know where this is kind of going, and I, I get what the event is that's going to change the future. So I don't know if it, in a sense I went into it almost with too much knowledge because I ha I already had an idea of how that was going to play out and how that could go horribly wrong. So so I'm like the complete opposite. Like I got it got straight away where they were going with it. And um, Sarah. Yeah, so actually I'd, I'd take that point, Lindsay, because while I've only seen the TOS episode once, I do have my own personal Star Trek website who sits next to me. <laughs> 
and make sure that I've understood the connections to to the rest of Trek law as we're watching things. So I, I guess it's it's difficult for me to be able to kind of say how it would feel if you really had no idea if this was your very first series, like how enjoyable the episode would be if you didn't have those kind of um, that even basic understanding of of what it's built on. In, in fairness, I don't use a flip chart anymore, so no. that's been a, an exercise <laughs> in the strain. <laughs> Of a good flip chart. I think it's interesting because I think if you are going to do an episode that clearly, like, really clearly relies on something that is not part of the same series, because there's lots of episodes whereby they go back in time to something that's already had, like Voyager did it at least once. They go back in time and you revisit something that you've already seen. Um, it needs to be something like they did it with the trouble with tribbles. Like, I watched that having not watched TOS, and they gave me enough knowledge that I understood what was happening. Like, you got a briefing about what period they were going back to. And yeah, of course, I didn't get all of the jokes, but you did. Like, you, I just felt like they were taking me with them. Whereas this, it was like, you know it or you don't know it. It's okay. Now, my, we did review this about a year ago, Balance of Terror. And I'd completely... As, Lindsay says, I've completely forgot about that episode and that recording. It's only when somebody mentioned Balance of Terror in some of our notes and stuff. I thought, after I'd already seen the episode, I thought, oh, yeah, we did actually review that episode. That's why I decided to. So if anybody wants to hear our review of it, it's been put up on the, uh, just go to the Twitter, our Twitter timeline, and you will see a link to that episode. But I'd completely forgot about that episode when I came to watch this episode, uh, this one originally. And I, I did follow this episode quite clearly. I knew what was going on. I knew that Pike had to go into, uh, would have to learn something in the future uh, to be able to make sure that he doesn't make a decision in the past. So that, that alters the timeline. Um, not having foreknowledge of that previous episode, even though I did, or remembering, I should say, it didn't spoil my enjoyment of this episode, which I thought was great. So maybe you can watch this without having that sort of knowledge because everything is explained within a quality of mercy. Steve? I think I think um, I totally get what Lindsay's saying there about, well, if you don't have all that rich textual understanding of Balance of Terror, I think you do miss out on a lot and it's it's almost inviting you to go back and watch Balance of Terror and then watch the episode again. Um, so Balance of Terror was one of the first episodes that um, we, we, Sarah and I, watched together. It was like in the, that first batch of core original series episodes. But I don't think it's kind of generally one of the big things that everybody talks about when they talk about Star Trek episodes. So like, um, like the Tribbles, everyone knows about the Tribbles. Even if you're not a Star Trek fan, you probably know about Tribbles. You probably know about Khan. Yeah, so all, there, there are the bigger universe stuff that, that is in the general public's mind. I don't think Balance of Terror is, one, is an episode where lots of the, the general public would go, oh yeah, that's the one with the Romulan commander. Even though it is a banging episode, I don't think that's sort of generally picked up on. I guess, Linz, what you're almost saying is that it's almost like it played a trick on you. Like It's like, you know, you have to know Balance of Terror if you're going to understand this episode. And, and maybe I, maybe the danger is that I recognize, I knew enough to know I was missing out on things, or I knew that yeah. there were things that were happening that were significant, but I didn't know what they were. Mm. And like, for me, that's it. I'm like, I, I can't, I don't know what Kirk did in the episode and therefore I don't know why this matters is how I felt. Um, as, as, as Suki said, 
how we watch episodes varies um, and I know that quite often people comment on the fact that my head goes into strange places so maybe this is just a Lindsay problem um, but yeah that's where I was. Andrea? I suppose I kind of as soon as they started having that conversation about something was going to be different in the future I started thinking well I wonder what it is and I suppose like we mentioned Khan there I thought they might go to like Space Seed or something and have that Khan because they've kind of teased that a little bit with the surname being in there and things like that um so I, I started thinking what and I didn't think I didn't automatically go to Balance of Terror I mean I was really pleased because I think it is a, a, a really really good episode it's one of the best episodes of the original series it's that that whole submarine thing that that naval thing that I always seem to enjoy the most um but it wasn't the first thing I went to in my head when I thought what would he maybe have done differently to Kirk so so yeah I can kind of see why if you don't know the episode, it's probably not where you would you would mentally go to. I'm just thinking, Spike would have probably done uh, what Kirk initially did, which is go after the Romulan to destroy the ship. But because he's now second-guessing himself, uh, because of uh, his future timeline coming into play, right, he's probably second-guessing, so maybe I shouldn't go after this. might create an all-out war. Maybe I should go for peace negotiation. It's only when Kirk tells him, right at the end, that he, maybe you should have gone and destroyed them and this would have saved a lot of things. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, millions dying, basically. It would have changed everything. That's what he probably got into his head, thinking that's probably the, where the divergence happens. Steve? And, and that's what I love about this episode. It gets you to really think about different styles of captaincy, of leadership, um, because I think most people, uh, certainly I, would say that, Cap's, uh, that Pike's overall style of captaincy is a lot more um, kind of nurturing of his crew and, but, and, and perhaps competent than Kirk's. And Kirk has this unfair reputation, I think, of being a bit of a right, shoot first, ask questions later. But in Balance of Terror, although he does do those things, he, he also questions himself about whether he's doing the right thing. Um, and in this episode, I think you genuinely get that idea that Kirk wants to destroy the Romulan ship because he knows it will stop a war, not because he just wants to get in a massive Barney and shoot some phases at people. He wants to stop a war. He's a more noble person than I think quite often he gets credit for. And I think that came across really well in this episode. Lindsay? Yeah, I like. I, I think, like I, I said this right at the start of Strange New Worlds, and I've said it for various other points as well, is that that differentiation between Pike and Kirk, I think, is really hard. And I, I, I didn't, again, maybe because I'm not so familiar with particularly like TOS era or Kirk, I didn't find that easy. Because like with one hand, they were trying to play him as reckless and, you know, Im impetuous and, you know, he's going to do whatever. And you even get Pike going, this feels like this, like, you know, he's, he's this, this youngster is just going to like, you know, do whatever. Um, and he kind of does. But you're busy saying that also, well, you know, he was trying to stop a war. Well, yes. Like, clearly, like, I didn't ever think that Kirk was trying to start a war. But he clearly is, well, let's take action rather than let's try and have a conversation. Like that, you know, it's that Picard-Kirk differentiation, you know. Kirk would rather, like, do a thing and Picard would rather have a chat about it. And, and it doesn't mean that either of them aren't capable of the other. It's just that that's a very kind of distinction between their captaincies. Whereas I felt like this all got a bit mushy, and maybe maybe that's the whole point. Maybe like they're like you know Pike is doubting himself so much that that's where we're getting kind of stuck in this loop. Sarah, 
actually, I actually felt like Pike's attitude, not outward attitude, but his fear about Kirk and what he might do next was really unfounded. It wasn't based on anything Kirk was doing within this episode. When you've got the cool, calm and collected Vulcan saying we should attack, but actually there's nothing reckless about Kirk's decision or Kirk's um, analysis that attack is going to be the best option. And I think at one point, uh, when Pike's, I think he's giving a personal log or captain or something, he calls him a brash young Starfleet captain. It's like at no point had Kirk up until that point done anything which I would consider to be brash. He was basing it all on the fact that, he, you know, Sam and, Sam and um, Jim were sort of quite different characters and based on, you know, what I might say about my sister and what my sister might say about me, probably got no bearing on how we actually conduct ourselves within the workplace. It's all based on, you know, petty arguments around the dinner table from when we were little. I was just going to, I, one of the things I wrote down was like, why would you not check somebody's Starfleet record rather than like phone their brother and be like, yo, tell me about this person. Well, I, I think the thing is that I wasn't expecting to see Kirk in this episode because I think well, we knew Kirk was coming, but they were very much like season two Kirk. And that was, that was unexpected. That wasn't spoiled for me. Uh, and I've got to be honest, at his first kind of scene, I was a bit like, it's Jim Carrey. It's like the, the Jim Carrey from that Saturday Night Live like sketch. Like, I'm, I'm not sure about this. And I did kind of warm to him as the character as it went on, because I think it would be very easy to either play it as a Shatner parody or, you, you know, or you, you, completely unrecognisable. Um, and I think he actually did quite a good job of, of doing it his own way without kind of losing what we're expecting but yeah and my initial thing was oh my god it's Jim Carrey um I don't know if I'm gonna like this but I, I, I think I just need to let that bed in a little bit if you're looking at somebody's record it's quite impersonal it doesn't really go around saying too much about that person so you obviously you're going to call in somebody who knows that person's character well and you, you so you call in you called in Sam What's your brother like? What is he like? So you, you ask him and he'll give you an honest opinion what he thinks his brother's like. The second thing I want to say, spoilers, the first time I watched the episode, I skipped the credits and just went straight from the uh, end of the scene straight to the beginning of after the credits, basically. Now, the second time I watched it, I watched the episode and I watched the credits and there in the credits, it says special guest star Paul Wesley. Now, if I'd have been watching that normally, first time, that would have been a huge spoiler because I'd have known straight away James T. Kirk is in this episode because they've already said James T. Kirk is going to be in season two and he's been played by Paul Wesley. His name appears in the final episode of this uh, this uh, series and you immediately go, oh, he's in this episode as well. So that was a huge spoiler for me. So it is there and I wish they would have done what they did with John Delancey in one of the the first Picard episode, whether they put him into the episode in the credits at all, and then had him right at the end, special guest star John Delancey. They could have done the same here with Paul Wesley. Is I also thought Kirk was unfairly treated when um, he tried to pull, uh, I was going to say Picard, Pike up on the fact that he hesitated and it meant he lost his ship. And Pike was like, well, at least I'm here, you know, I'm here and I've got a ship. When actually it was Pike's fault that Kirk lost his ship. I, again, I just thought that <laughs> So that was really unfair. Um, so I'm going to hop back to the point Suki was making about, you know, getting um, first-hand accounts of somebody rather than looking at the records. Um, it's the old boys' network. 
It's exactly what we called Pike out on before. Pike is all about the, oh, I want to talk to you, which is fine unless there is an issue with who he's talking to and who he's inviting to his meals and whose opinions he's trusting. Um, because we know from society at large, the Old Boys Network is not without its flaws. Um, you know, you get a job because somebody like who knows a person knows a person tells, says nice things about you. Um, the other thing that I thought was quite frustrating is that from the moment that he comes into his being in that timeline at that wedding there is something clearly wrong with Pike there are various points like when he has that conversation with Lan and he's like oh do we hug now and oh have you spoken to number one like why did she not report that to her commanding officer because that like he is clearly not fit and my frustration is that like he has that conversation with Spock. A, they do like a magic mind meld. Like, um, it's now their like it's going to be their favorite trick again. Oh, anyway, never mind. Um, but Pike's going. Oh yeah, but I'm totally off sound mind, so it's totally okay for me to be in charge. I was like, but you don't have a good understanding of the current political climate within the Federation. You don't know your crew. You like he's not fit to be in command, Steve. Well, I'm I'm going to politely disagree, and I know exactly what what you mean. In in the um, he's uh, he's out of time, literally. Uh, he's um, discombobulated, but I think that's been one of the themes of this whole series: um, the idea that we've got these characters who, on the surface, are you know doing a duty and they're, and they're clearly really good at it, but underneath that, they're masking a whole load of nonsense going on for themselves. So yeah, like you mentioned, we've talked about Lan not being really suitable to be serving. Um, and, and and maybe even Spock as well. You know, he's he's clearly still pro dealing with all the the things that he has to deal with his with his mixed heritage and things. And now we've got Pike doing it as well. But I think isn't that just kind of aren't we all like that? Aren't we all doing that? We've all got our stuff going on, and we all just have to do our duty, like the the Romulan commander was saying. Yeah, one more duty to perform. And uh, and I think that's one of the things this series is trying to say. Yeah, we're all messed up. We've all just got to do our best. Lindsay. I'm going to use a really dodgy analogy here. Um, so say you're a medical professional who is put 10 years into the future and you're suddenly in charge of an, like a, a, an accident, an emergency or a, or a theatre. Things will have changed. Processes will have changed. Standards will have changed. There'll be new medication. Like stuff changes. He does not have that knowledge. Now, I totally get that this is a TV show and he needs to be in charge because that's it. But the fact that they repeatedly kept showing him clearly being discombobulated and confused and like he wasn't masking it very well like i i, I yeah anyway see yes but the the if ticket you're right it's all part of the storytelling and uh, we accept that that conceit don't we but if you keep it within the universe then i would argue that it's more important a, a captain of a starship is a real figurehead position so if you're going to remove that captain which is what perhaps we're saying could have happened. Pike would have gone. Do you know what? I'm I'm way out of this. I'm, I'm I'm I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to take a step back. That's a real big impact on your crew, there, isn't it? And and actually, he probably knows enough to be able to make decisions about a, a combat situation and this real condensed situation that he's in. Um, I, I think it would be a bigger drawback to remove him from that. Um, totally, particularly considering this is some sort of weird controlled investigation that uh, Starfleet are doing or, or the Pike's doing about where what difference do I make and why should I do either the same or something different? Now, Pike has already told Spock his secret what, what exactly is going on. So Pike 
it's trusted Spock, and Spock has gone, okay, and he's done the mind meld, and he realised everything there is true. Now, he's left, uh, Spock has left him being in charge, but if anything does happen, the mod- uh, Spock can always then jump in, because he knows what the situation is. He has got his captain's back. So the story can progress in the way it should do, only because Pike and Spock have got that trusting relationship to be able to go around saying, telling each other the truth, and so they can continue uh, with the roles that they've already got. Which is fine until Spock goes away to do a repair that's got absolutely nothing to do with him, uh, for reasons, because um, he then spends the really important bit of the episode not anywhere near Pike, so not able to intervene at all. Um, I also thought it was really interesting. Like, Did anybody else get like extreme slash vibes? <laughs> it's a very fanfic term. Like, I felt like there was a lot of Pike-Spock going on which again brings me back to this my my slight confusion about the differentiation between like pike and kirk and their relationship with spock and i think in this episode there was another clear example of the the um the understandable discontinuity of spock's understanding of human nature like we suddenly seem to like revert back to him going oh was that one of your human jokes you've now been working with these people for like 10 years the same people like, like, it, and I, I, that might well be a reference to the original episode, which again would at least partially explain it. Um, but the more, like, and I get that there is a whole war and there's lots of other people, but it felt very much like, oh, I can save these cadets, or I can save Spock. Oh, oh, oh. like it was, it was an interesting choice that that was how they chose to go, Steve. So one of the things I like about what they've done with this uh, Spock and Pike relationship is that in, in, um. The, the cage or the menagerie um it's never quite i never was quite satisfied about why spock would take such a big risk to um take pike to talos for to to um, let him live with the vena and the talosians after he'd had his accident because there was just never enough backstory to explain how important they were to each other particularly when a lot of the work in the original series up to that point had been about how kirk and Spock were, were really bringing, uh, coming close together and working together. And then for Spock to kind of betray all that never really rung true. So, so what I'm loving about these episodes is that you're, you're really getting a sense for how much they, they do rely on each other and how much Spock is learning about humanity, about himself from Pike, um, and, and therefore why he would risk the, the death penalty to take him to, to Talos. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think I'm, I'm in with that. There's that also that scene right at the end of the episode where Spock realizes that Pike has done something momentous because uh, which will result in somebody close to Pike being saved, and he guesses that it's him. Uh, so he thanks him there, and once he's thanked him there, he realizes he's all sort of forever in his debt, right? So whatever he uh, Pike, uh, whatever befalls Pike in the future, he knows that he's got somebody like Spock that will be there for him to be able to help him because he knows that Pike has already done the same for him, right? He's already given his life basically away to make sure Spock survived. So there's that ongoing friendship that cements that ongoing friendship and why he does this sort of thing in the menagerie. Is there a risk that Spock is now just becoming too important to everything in the Federation that ever happens or indeed the galaxy? Um, I mean, he's clearly a great guy uh, and all that, <laughs> but it turns out to be the fulcrum of everything in existence, which is getting a bit much, perhaps. Andrea? Oh, it's a ch- it changed to be Michael Burnham. <laughs> Andrea? 
I, I do feel like there's a bit of a like like Spock's almost got that like that Christ-like status that he has to be killed off to be resurrected um, mm. because the, the the fate of the galaxy hangs on on Spock. And the more you think about, it, even in sort of Kelvin timeline movies, the fate of the galaxy hangs on Spock. Like it's just it, it is just seem to be what has to happen, uh, which is a bit of a weight of responsibility for the guy, really, isn't it? But um, but yeah, that that does seem to be a bit of a theme. Uh, <laughs> I very much took it as a reference to the Kelvin timeline. Um, because you know it's prime Spock who has to go back in time to then kick off the other timeline but like I kind of like the idea that the Klingons knew that that happened and that it was important that it did happen. Uh, Andrea? Well I sort of I was thinking there was, there was that kind of reference to, to unification as well that like the only guy who can kind of sort this out is like no, he's, he's now dead so how's this war going to end so so yeah there's, 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 there's quite a bit on the guy's plate really isn't there so mentioning the the JJ verse I uh, I thought that this episode more than any other the kind of the effects and the and the sound were most um like the Kelvin timeline films than than I've seen so far maybe I just haven't been watching close enough but I thought they were really um Kelvin-esque like the bit where the, the Enterprise jumps out of warp and, and it does that sort of big camera swift around thing and there's, there's even screen uh, flashes and stuff so I thought it was really um Abrams-ish Yes, I'm also impressed with some of the special effects that they did in this episode. And the one that really stood out, I think, was the destruction of the Farragut. Mm. The way it was destroyed, and then you see it floating in space, and there's still explosions happening on it. I thought that was an absolutely brilliant special effect. There's another one that I really enjoyed, was the two starships going through that uh, comet's tail. Mm. I thought that was the way it was lit and the way everything seemed to, all the little asteroid dusts or whatever it was, just floating straight through there. I thought that was a, another great little uh, special effects. Andrea, uh, Lindsay. Oh, oh well, it's, well, it's, it's, it's a finale. It's a finale. I have to put it in. I feel like I've now got some competition for Red Shirt at least. Um, um, this is what you want for today. I am. Um, what was I going to say? So, question. One of the many things I was like, oh, I wonder if this is a reference to the original episode because it looks, it makes no sense. The disco ball effect. No, no, they just chose a really, a really strange thing to do. Like, I, like it, like they clearly used a mirror ball. Like, it, it's a mirror ball, yeah, and I, the the direction of travel of the bits didn't match the direction of the travel of the light across people's faces on the bridge. Is that just me? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I when watched that. I thought, what, why is he doing that? I mean, just to make it a bit more sparkly. I don't know because just before that, it'd been a bit rough of carnage, hadn't it, with the um, the nebula, like the bit you're talking about there, Suki, where it's going through the tail of the comet. That was a bit like the um, the Mutara nebula, I thought, in um, in the Wrath of Khan. And and what was the episode earlier in the season where the the Gorn? They, it was effectively balance of terror because it was like the um, uh, the the cat and mouse in the nebula um, with the Gorn. Uh, so they, they've given us clues, haven't they? They've told us where they were going. Um, well, I wonder, and I wonder why they chose, though, the Romulans now. Like they've spent the whole season building up the Gorn, and then the big finale is, and now we're going to talk about the Romulans. I, 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 didn't quite, I mean, I'm glad they did, but I don't quite get why they did that. Lindsay? I think it was also really interesting, because quite early on, like I think one of the first things that Pike says is, oh, nobody's seen a Romulan for however long. Like, no, I'm like, oh, we've just done this. Like, And I get that we are in an era of space whereby you have enemies and you don't see them regular. Like, I, I do get that, but I was like, we literally just done this? Like, I feel like 
that's three episodes out of ten that have been about a species nobody's seen. And we got we got. So then the world. It was just a. Yeah, we got Captain Battle Battle back uh, from the yeah. first episode, didn't we? She was uh, she was back in it. So we've we've talked a bit, haven't we, about well, what what is their relationship? He's quite Pike's clearly able to go off and have relationships with other people, uh, or at least one other person uh, who you know, murders children, and that's cool apparently. Um, but uh, so and now she's back, and are they still in a relationship? Is it a, a just is that what captains do? They're allowed to go and you know captains just circle. Catch up, hook up Sarah. every now and again when they meet up, Sarah. Uh, yeah, I, it's really odd because I quite like their interactions in that first episode, but it just felt really off and wrong in this episode. There was something about it that just was clunky and I didn't enjoy it at all. I was kind of like, I was trying to figure out what they'd just been doing because I was yeah, like, was right, so yeah. you were obviously there for dinner last night. And this is this morning, but that's not really a breakfast dish. So if you've just been having like a dirty morning, which is fine, like you know, captains are allowed to like you know have conjugal conjugal visits or whatever you want to call it. But like they were like it didn't feel like that. Like it didn't have that kind of chemistry. That that's what they like. Yeah, it's just slightly odd. And and they were having the conversation that like you would have had when you first met like when she first came off the transporter like as a couple that's the sort of conversation we would have had straight away is uh, you know how are you you know like really how are you whereas actually they decided to eat two meals and then do whatever they did in between and then have that conversation so it then sounded more like she was his superior officer just checking in on him or checking up on him it was all anyway it was all very odd and I didn't enjoy it Well, I've got like a little tendency to this because one of my one of my big bugbears with Discovery season one is Admiral Cornwall, who wants to check up on Lorca but decides to sleep with him first instead. <laughs> I mean, quite and that, on, that on the but, professional yeah. level is deeply <laughs> problematic for a number of reasons. Andrea, is it a captain thing though? Because they always have to be like pretty much fully clothed. Like even Lorca even slept in his trousers, so <laughs> you know, like. It's, you never know when the call to action will come. Or when you've got some emergency <laughs> spaghetti cooking to do. Yeah. Like, nobody wants to do that without the trousers on. I just, I, I feel almost like that entire scene was built around the fact that that's what they wanted him to cook. <laughs> I feel so like when... somebody went, oh, I want them to use, like, this thing. And therefore it has to be, like, the morning after the night before. So would the episode have been any the poorer for that scene not having been in it? I think it tees up Sorry. one or two things. Like it tees up where they are. It tears. It tees up, you know, various like bits of that kind of like what's going on. Which I also don't really understand because there's there's chat about the Romulans in the neutral zone, but they're also like at a starbase sort of. No, they're not at the starbase. They're hovering above the thing. Ignore me. I'm talking rubbish. But they also seem to be so. In one bit of the episode, they can't talk to Starfleet because it takes forever for a message to get back. And at the end, which obviously we'll talk about because it's a whole other thing, but at the end, it's Starfleet who are sending a message to Pike to tell him that he and Una need to go to the... to the, like that. That's a time-sensitive message that wouldn't come from Starfleet in that scenario. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, Andrea? I kind of feel like that character was just brought into the episode to do one thing. I think they had like a single function, um, which was clearly to just come and arrest someone at the end. But they just kind of thought, well, we'd better like, we'd better mention them at some point somewhere else. Um, just in case you forget that they've got a really intimate relationship. So this will hurt even more. 
yeah, mm. that, yeah that seemed like the tease really didn't it that was the um that was the purpose i think right at the beginning when he meets uh matt's dad the uh first is that outpost one that he's fitting out first and then outpost four is the one that's seven years in the future Oh, I can. Well, I thought they was they were talking about Outpost Four all the way along. That's interesting. So you think there are two different things happening? Yeah, because right. that way that explains why Captain Battelle's there because they're close to the first one, and then seven years in the future, there is such a so far distance that it'll take uh, Starfleet weeks to send any ships to. Outpost Four outposts are relatively close together in the, the scheme of space. Because like they all need to be like along the edge of the neutral zone if they're not all on the same asteroid. I kind of thought they were all on the same asteroid, but maybe I misunderstood that. Uh, Steve, I've, I've never understood how the neutral zone works, right? So because presumably space is three dimensional, right? And this, but it's only ever presented as like this line separating <laughs> two, like a map of, of the, a World War Two battlefield or something. So I've always wondered why ships don't just go sort of over where the outposts are like why do they always have to go through them it's ridiculous <laughs> that's a very good question i also have questions about how far away they can fire phasers from because yeah. at various points they seemed pretty close yeah. and apparently still couldn't target their phasers i was like this confuses me but i'm not particularly technical on that front uh, sarah okay so if we're talking about things that didn't make sense to us I'm hoping someone who knows more about ships than I do can explain how the Enterprise can be hit and decks six, seven, and nine are damaged, but somehow eight is magically spared. Right. Well, that's very easy to answer, Sarah, and is explained using the following complex form. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, oh, I just there, just for a moment there, I thought this is a rehearsed question and Steve was. No, gonna... genuinely, it's, it's really bothered me. So you've got this, this ball of whatever it was, what was the weapon called? Uh, the plasma. The plasma, a ball of plasma hits the ship and manages to damage deck six, seven and nine, but not eight, which one would assume is in the middle of seven and nine. Got it. So, there you go, so, I knew this was rehearsed. So, <laughs> I can do this. So the saucer section has got like the first nine decks in it. Right, and the the plasma ball hits like un underneath the saucer section, but it hits the 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 neck uh, connecting the saucer to the primary hull at deck nine, and then it clips six and seven of the saucer section. Okay, right, I will accept that as an answer because that was bothering me. And also, my other thing that bothered me was why was the bride holding a pumpkin? Because <laughs> that looked really silly. <laughs> Because apparently we I don't also, know, we don't wear wedding outfits anymore, but we still need to know which one the bride is by the fact that she's got some sort of tapery um, to carry. Anyway, sorry, we can carry on now with more serious things. Or not, Andrea? I feel like there's a cameo that has yet to be mentioned, which is of course Scotty's arm. Um, oh, yeah, <laughs> um, and is is pretty. I'm I'm going to leave this to Lindsay, but it sounded like a pretty horrendous Scottish accent to me. Um, to the untrained ear, it sounded pretty um, pretty iffy. <laughs> I think they're well. As I'm sure everybody who listens to the podcast knows, um, bless him, he wasn't Scottish in the first place. So, no. like, it's a lot. There's a long tradition of. I, I it feels quite caricature Scottish, is what I would say, yeah, which is fine. Like you know. Um, we had some chat last week about the fact that we hoped that Hemmer hadn't just been killed off so that they could give us Scotty. I, um, I yeah. don't know. It's interesting that they 
they clearly didn't show him for reasons. And I'm like, I get why you've done that, but I also, I'm like, Ugh. but it also tied into the fact that Spock was doing a repair that seemed slightly nonsensical to me. Uh, Andrea? I did a little bit of sort of investigation to try and work out if Scotty should come on board the Enterprise while Pike's captain, and I think that is in some way canon that he, he should be on there um, when Pike's on there, so I, I think potentially that's something that may happen, but I, I'm just guessing he's just not cast, or they're going to put someone else into that role in the interim, or I don't know, maybe they just... like a sticky question. Yeah. No, well, I'm just thinking that this... Uh... It's seven years in the future. Pike should would have been would have uh, passed the, the captaincy on to Kirk by now. So Scott, uh, Scotty was part of Kirk's uh, crew at this point of time. So he's on the he's on the ship at this point of time. Uh, seven years in the future, uh, when he comes onto the actual Enterprise, I don't know. And I think Andrea had a hand up first. I was just going to say there, there were some continuity issues though around sort of they hadn't just put Pike in charge of the Enterprise crew as we know it from that era because um, Dr. McCoy wasn't there um, or Tegas was there so they've, they've kind of mixed that one up a little bit. I suppose you, you, you like your own people don't you as a sort of manager you, you, you put your, your own people around you as much as you can so so should Sam have been there? I mean I realise it's all a disturbed timeline anyway but should Sam have been there at that point? Uh, yes. He's, he's well, he did, not necessarily on the on Enterprise. On the Enterprise, but around and in existence. But, but Kirk should have been on the Enterprise, so Sam wouldn't presumably have been because Jim was. So um, maybe, because uh, Sam should be on the planet from Operation Annihilate at that point, I think. Is that the end of the first season? Yeah, yeah married married with a child as well. Yeah. So all this, all this timeline diversions mm. has resulted in Sam staying on the ship and Scotty turning up or somewhere. It's just um, uh, Dr. McCoy not being on the ship, uh, or Tiger's being on there, Sulu not being on there. Uh, it's all just diverged. Um, that's all because Spike decided he's going to try and save these cadets and himself. Okay, I have a question, which is awful, because I never realised I have watched this relatively recently and I just don't remember. Um, but presumably there's a character in the, the TOS version who is like super anti-Romulan and is yeah. quite combative and generally a bit of an arse about it because like it genuinely felt like Ortegas had had some kind of like so, it, it wasn't the character that we know like <laughs> it was just like let's give this character some lines because we need somebody to be a pain in the ass Steve so so that character who I think is Styles in the Balance of Terror episode he's the one who gets Kirk's years you leave your bigotry in the quarters there's no room for it on the bridge speech in the in balance of terror and and you're right it just was a real weird gear change to hear ortega sort of being that character in this because I mean, she's she's definitely you know right on and feisty but i don't think she's ever been that kind of it's the romulans kill them all sort of uh, thing to her has there no but, and they did they could have they could have given us a couple of sentences about you know she'd lost somebody like you know her partner was working on the refinery like give me something <laughs> don't just make her an ass yeah. Like just, just give me something, Suki. Yeah, I agree with Lynn. They should have given us something where they gives a motivation as to why she's been this really different sort of character that we're used to. As, as, as probably something like some 
she's had some sort of running, or a family member has had some sort of running, or somebody close to her, and it, it's the Robinsons that's done it. The the scene that really stands out for me uh, regarding uh, Erica in this in this episode was one where she's really been obnoxious and wants to stand her ground, and she turns to uh, Pike, and he turns around and bellows at her, stand down, Erica. Or doesn't even say Erica, he just says stand down. And that was shocking. And you can see she's gone too far. And she just steps back. I liked that because we've talked about this in the past, haven't we? About how Pike seems to let his uh, subordinates get away with an awful lot of back chat and questioning him and undermining him. And that's and isn't that great because he's so secure in himself, so he doesn't need to worry about it. But this time, yeah, he actually proper went for it. And... Um, uh, and, and his sort of uh, management uh, procedural capacity has come up in these conversations before, hasn't it? And, and and maybe we saw some of his chickens coming home to roost right at the end of the episode, you know, keeping Una's secret. And now turns out people at Starfleet were getting a bit wound up about that. Thank you very much. And uh, now you're in trouble, boyo. Well, I, I feel like this this would be the appropriate uh, moment to talk about our season ender because we got we had that little G, uh, GZ. Uh, jazzy bluesy number like i quite like that but where he's back on the bridge and he's back with his version of his people and the world has got to right gone to rights and he's kind of like spock is like you know incapacitated and all the rest of it um and like we get that bit and then we get like the obligatory we need a cliffhanger for the end of the season moment um where you know they go down and you know like so I, I have, there's two sides to this. One, which I think is great. I think I'm glad that there are going to be consequences because we've spoken before about the fact that that had to happen. But I'm slightly perplexed by the fact that she's being arrested. There seems to be an acknowledgement that he knew this, but there's no, you're suspended, you're going under investigation, you know, I'm taking charge of your ship because you have you have facilitated this serious breach of the rules. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they play that going forward. How did we feel about that end, Andrea? I felt like that was sort of left there at the signpost, like this is going to be a thing next season. Um, I don't know if there's going to be a jailbreak or there's going to be a... I would quite like a courtroom. What we haven't had is that courtroom kind of episode. I would quite like that. I think that would work really well with Pike, um, kind of fighting for, for Una's liberty. I think that would make a cracking episode. Um I don't know. I think they're trying to avoid arcs, aren't they? But this is this is going to come back up. This is going to resurface in season two. I'd be quite disappointed if it's just like, yeah, she's in jail now. Just just leave her. Like we'll we'll bake her a cake with a filing or something like. But that's as much as we're going to do. Um, I think he left himself with enough kind of plausible deniability. He never went, oh yeah, no. Um, and I don't think she's going to say, oh yeah, you. So so I think he can probably kind of brush that one under the carpet. But. Uh, but it's definitely a thread that's going to be pulled again. Lindsay? It's going to be interesting because the dangerous canon word, um, like they've got limited options when it comes to canon because genetically modified, certainly genetically modified humans, um, but genetically modified people in general, there's, there's still very much a taboo about even when we get to sort of DS9, isn't there? Like that's that's still a huge thing when Bashir turns out to, I mean, spoilers. Um, turns out to have been modified so I, like it's going to be interesting because I, I presumably they'll end up with a one-off exemption because she's excellent rather than an actual change in the rules but that will also feel slightly odd I think anyway we shall we shall find out see well they'd have to unpick that quite a lot wouldn't they because even though it's a the when 
in this episode we've created a new timeline one would imagine that the rules of Starfleet are the same at least in it and, th- and she's clearly not got out in seven years in this episode um, because of what Lan says about not being allowed to speak to her so so either they're going to have to do yeah as, as Andrew says some sort of jailbreak or there's going to have to be something significantly different about Starfleet regulations to allow Una out. I love the idea of a courtroom scene, though, Andrew. I like you could get um, what's his name, Samuel Quigley from the um, from the court martial, the lawyer from the court martial episode. That'd be excellent. He's like that slightly irascible, grumpy, world weary lawyer. He'd be great at this. Fair enough. Well, no doubt we shall find out more. Um, shall we do our round of last thoughts? Um, let's start with Steve, because I know Steve's name. <laughs> <laughs> My last thought about this is that I think you can now make a case to argue definitively that James Kirk is a better captain than Christopher Pike. <laughs> and I might, I might be tempted to try and, uh, and make that argument when given more time to prepare. But I, th- I, th- I think this is a, it's like a randomised controlled trial, isn't it? You know, let's put two different captains in exactly the same situation and see who gets the better outcome. And you'd have to say, it's Kirk in Ballad's Terror. But if it was really two captains in the same condition, you would have to take a version of Kirk from the future back in time and tell him he was going to get it wrong and then see what he did. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe that happens. Maybe maybe Kirk was putting up with all that and he didn't even let it bother him. Yeah? How about that? Maybe, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> I also think you'd have to answer which Kirk we're talking about because there's at least two quite different Kirks. Anyway, so is that all of your thoughts? Have you got anything else you haven't managed to I, squeeze into the conversation yet? The only thing I also I, I, I raised my eyebrow at a bit was when, you know, when Pike comes in, he's just been called to the bridge after doing the wedding service. And he says to Spock, uh, what's the report, Mr. Spock? And Spock really grumpily goes, well, you need to ask Lieutenant Uhura. <laughs> well, I was like, what's that all about? Just tell him. What, what? Why is he saying that? Presumably because it's a change in status or something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, fabulous. Andrea, any final thoughts? Anything we haven't managed to cover yet? Um, I think I noticed Nurse Chapel was wearing blue um, in the episode, which we've only ever seen her in white, haven't we? She was her in blue. Um, Suki's got a, a burning issue. Now, okay, sorry, but you know, we've been discussing, you know, it seems the medi- medical staff seems to be a bit threadbare. But in this episode, there's loads of them, right? So I'm just going to say that there are loads of them. <laughs> and oh, it's been proved in this episode. Lindsay. Sticking. Loads of them standing around doing sweet call in the middle of a crisis. <laughs> what are you talking? I I cannot get past how badly that was done because you have the doctor standing there while somebody helps somebody onto a bed, not an instrument in hand, nothing going on, no sense of urgency, and then you get to Chapel, who is literally standing next to the bed. Again, no instruments in hand, no motion, no sign that they're doing anything to treat him or triage any of the thousands of other patients. They're literally just standing there like spare parts being like... Look, that, we really, know, that really upset me too. But we know what her story is. She is infatuated in love, whatever you'd like to say, with Spock. And she's in shock, right? She's just given him, probably done the diagnosis, done all that she can. And Pike so she's just literally just to... pining after her character Pike? arc is pining after Spock for seven might, years. Might not have been pining after him for seven years, but she she has been she has been close to him for seven years. You know they have worked closely t- together for seven years. They are friends. 
and she's just seen her friend in such a bad condition. She's done what she can. She's stood there, and Point just happens to turn up when she's maybe just doing anything. So, of course, she's just going to say it in that sort of, uh, you know, strained voice and, uh, and just say, look, this is this is the situation. Go on, Andrea. I, I felt like they intentionally played it to make you think he was dead. Um, but I also think they really intentionally made his injuries look very much like Pike's injuries. Um, and it was like, is fate that cruel that he would get pretty much the same set of injuries as you in an accident? Like, but yeah, so I felt they, they really wanted to pull that parallel quite, quite strongly in that scene. Um, I think that's about it. I think I've probably, um, I've probably gone through most of me. We rants, gripes, and happiness, but like generally, I'm I'm pretty delighted with it, so I'm not going to complain. Um, yeah, I just thought it was a really nice counter story to kind of discos. Um, what if we can just talk to each other? It'll all be okay. And I I liked. You know, I, I do wish that was true. I would like to live in that universe more, where if we just could all talk to each other, it would all be okay. But I thought it was really nice to actually look at it from the other point of view, where actually there are certain occasions where you can talk all you like, but it's not going to change anything. Um, and, and that being explored a bit more. Andrea? I was just going to say, I think it's quite interesting that they often go at that place where those two captains probably were willing and could sort it out. But then the politicians turned up and ruined yeah. it, um, which I, I, I think is, is something that that's happened in Star Trek relatively frequently i think so no one likes those politicians <laughs> oh well, someone out there is gonna fire the first shot isn't there um is, is that is that everything Sarah? yeah i think so okay uh okay there's a few things uh one of which as i've mentioned earlier was a big spoiler of having Paul, Wes Paul Wesley's name in the actual opening credits. So if anybody was watching for the first time, we'll know straight away. There was also some shots... We remembered his name. Most of us don't remember that kind of stuff, Suki. Yeah. Some people I would have recognised John Delancey's name, but yeah. that one but, wouldn't have got But me. there's a lot of people that do follow Star Trek and they would have recognised his name straight away. There's some shot-for-shot -shot, uh, uh, remakes uh, uh, from Balance of Terror in the actual episode. Uh, including the one where they reveal the uh, the Romulans, and you can zoom straight to where Spock and Spock just raises his eyebrow. That's like a shot, uh, shot for shot remake from uh, the original episode. Um, there's Lance. Lance's appearance on the the ship when she turns up, she's got a different look, and she's a hugger. So you've seen Lance. She's uptight. She's been quite controlled, and the first thing she does is you see her, is her hair's all loose and she goes straight up to, uh, to uh, Pike and gives him a hug and this is all different sort of characteristics that you've got to know uh, since uh, she since uh, her days on the original Enterprise and now she just looks like a totally different sort of character maybe she just got over her PTSD or whatever she was uh, confused uh, help uh, confusing her character in the past uh, Steve Suki, mate, I love your accent. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. But I swear to God, I thought you said Lan was a hooker. And I was like, okay. we, watched a different, we watched a different episode of Star Trek. With <laughs> I'm not saying. I'll just put that down as a Steve red shirt thing. <laughs> no. um, oh, I'm sorry, Suki, I'm going to jump in there because 
Isn't that just such a trope, though? Like, now now she's happy, she can wave her hair around, <laughs> put loose and fancy free. She, if she had glasses, she probably would have taken those off as well. <laughs> <laughs> like, Sorry, carry on. Arguably, she no longer works in, as a security officer or, or whatever they are at this point in the show. Um, so therefore, you know, if she's commander and she's like second in command, she can be like, she's an office worker now as opposed to like a fighter. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, if you're in the workplace, you should have your hair tied up. Agreed. But Crusher and various other people also. No, like, there's no medical professional who'd be allowed to work with that great big mane of hair wafting around the medical bay. So, yeah, we should move on from this because that makes me quite cross. Okay. Uh, there's uh, the little scene where Pike offers coffee to uh, Spock, and he goes, "I don't, I don't drink coffee, but I'll, uh, I do drink tea." And he offers tea, and he goes, "No, thank you." And I thought that was a great little fun, yes, uh, fun scene. That was good. Yeah. Uh, Kirk arriving with all the mining equipment, uh, mining craft, basically just to fool the Romulan which is a great little touch because they're miles away from any starbase but the, the outposts are probably all quite near so he's gone and commandeered all that Lindsay had her hands up this is on my list of thoughts right so I get that there was some chat about the Romulans not having sensors while they were cloaked but all of those Romulan ships are uncloaked so do they still not have sensors can they still not tell that there's like literally nobody on any of those ships just a thought Andrea I felt like that whole scene was a big fuck you to everyone who's complained about cut and paste chips um, since Star Trek came back to life. So <laughs> I just assumed that was someone like, there you go. Steve. I liked it because it was typical Kirk, wasn't it? It's like, right, this isn't playing out the way I like it. I'm going to go off and do my own thing and save the day, you guys. <laughs> but I, I think, yeah, the ships, so it's like a highly tense situation. Maybe the Rom Romulan scanners are too busy concentrating on the Enterprise. I don't know. It's good enough. All 70,000 Romulan ships yeah. all just focused on the Enterprise. <laughs> Nobody's, like, looking at any of these other ships. But that's that's the problem when you have a highly centralised autocracy. The people around lose their initiative and they all rely on the Praetor to make the decisions, yeah? Uh, that's the problem you got there. That, that's, that's a pretty solid narrative actually well done that man <laughs> the the regulars weren't well served in this episode because uh, they only appeared in one possibly two scenes for most of the other regulars and Benga is in one scene Lan's in one scene Chapel's in a couple of scenes uh, Una's in uh, a couple bookends the whole series, uh, the episode with the only um, Erica Uhura Spock and uh, Pike group really required for this show this episode um we now know the pike's accident happens like seven years in the future we all speculated it was like 10 years in the future but pike goes forward seven years and then spock says it happened six months ago in this timeline mm -hmm. so it's about six and a half to seven years uh, in the future of whatever uh, pike is currently uh, and look as uh, one of you said uh, i do like the little scene where pike does a little tour around the uh, the bridge there with that music playing i like how he's just basically acknowledging the people that he's got there and the ship and the crew it's just a nice little scene so yeah uh, that's it for me okay, so predictably i did write notes for this one um, and i have uh, some thoughts that we haven't quite caught yet um the, the commander of the outpost 
is he like he's Starfleet, but he's different Starfleet. He's got some kind of slightly like there's a variation on his uniform and his badge, Steve. So the badge thing is really important. I was so pleased by that. So in the original series, every single ship has its own badge insignia. So it's only the Enterprise that has the Delta in the original series. Every other ship's got its own version of that. But the, the canon thing is that um, the Enterprise became so amazing. Kirk's Enterprise five-year mission became so legendary that Starfleet then took on the, the Enterprise Delta as its overall logo. But until that point, they all had individual um, badges. So have deltas. I missed all of that. I didn't hear you. What did you say? Lovery has deltas too. Well, that's that's nice, but but that's because right the um the I don't know. <laughs> okay. um, but it's it's a nice nod to that being a thing, but it just it, it confused me slightly. Um, I also the child who wanders in. Where did this child come from? And who let him wander in? Like. Did he transport across with his dad and get left with some random person to childbind who then allowed him to walk into a secure area like through the bridge? Like, is that a thing? Like, it's okay? Well, he, he, the, the child is infatuated with the Enterprise. He, he wants to be on the Enterprise, so his dad has brought him along. Obviously, he has whoever's supposed to be looking after him. He's got away from him. Well, so that explains that, but the child wants to be on the Enterprise. And his dad, this is the only chance he's probably going to get to give me on the Enterprise or a starship. So he's just going, yeah, yeah, come with me. No worries. Yes. Um, okay. At number one's eyebrows seem like, have they always been so Vulcan? Like, they seem very Vulcan at the start of this episode. They were very slanty. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, it seems to be like Illyrians and humans are pretty much indecipherable, except for maybe that they have. Vulcan style eyebrows. Sarah, you seem to find this very funny. I don't know why. Your, very serious observation. Your attention to detail just really makes me laugh. So between the two of you, just... your your attention to detail where you're getting fixated on eyebrows. And then you've got Suki. I love the way he's got a perfectly rational explanation for any sort of random plot point. I love the kind of backstory that you provide for everything. Like, yeah, this is what happened. Suki's <laughs> ability to create headcanon as on like without any notice. It's really impressive. Um, they talk about the ship that uh, they talk about Lan's ship. So I assumed that she was the captain because that's how you would talk about it. It's not Lan's ship. It's the ship Lan serves on. Um, so that was weird and slightly confusing. Did quite like the look of the Romulans. I thought it was quite good. They did look, at least uh, the the captain guy looked a little bit like the aliens out of Galaxy Quest. Um, but that's because the Galaxy Quest aliens were meant to look like Star Trek aliens. So it's a bit of a vicious cycle. Um, I think it was the haircut, or the combination of the haircut and the pasty skin. Yeah. Um, regional Romulans. So, for anyone who listened to our coverage of Picard, we talk about regional Romulans because Romulans have regional accents in Picard. It's great. Or some of them are Irish, but not all of them. It's great. Um, so there's an Ireland on Romulus. It's good to know. Um, this time I thought they were Russian, and then they weren't. I was like, oh, they've done a thing. They've made the the Romulans Russians because you know all the bad guys are going to be Russians again in the future. Um, but then the accent sort of drifted, and it. Sounded less Russian, but anyway, there was a there was an accent, there was a thing. How can the Romulans? So the Romulan priestess is like, we have you surrounded. Can't surround somebody while remaining on your side of the neutral zone, which apparently you are. So that was Dodge, Steve. 
more neutral zone queries you're right because like how could they have been each on their side of the neutral zone because the neutral zone is like massive it takes it like it takes ages to get to the kobayashi maru which is in the neutral zone so how can they be looking at each other across the neutral zone they must have been one of them inside the neutral zone and the other one on their side of it but that's never made clear that anyone's brought ships across the neutral zone one would imagine the romulans had because it was in federation space that these outposts were being attacked so presumably the, the romulans have done that lindsay I talk about like your side of the neutral zone is almost like within the neutral zone. There's like the Starfleet side of the neutral zone. Yeah. <laughs> there's the Romulan side of the neutral zone, and in the middle there is a like a hard border, which kind of defeats the purpose of the neutral zone. I would have thought, or maybe the it's just that we're supposed to have a mutual neutral zone. Anyway, it's not important. However, um, I did love the reference to standard training maneuvers because I feel like that is an excuse we have heard from uh, big big uh, threatening powers they're like oh no it's totally standard we just happen to put all of our people right next to ukraine totally standard um the duty issue so we talked about pronunciation a little earlier i have a huge issue with any time the word duty comes up in star trek because when it's said by americans it does not sound like duty duty is an excellent word the way it's pronounced by most americans is weird and just weird and makes yeah. me go it's done a duty that's the one. Like it's it's just we it's just strange. Like there's a T in it. It's a hard T. Duty. Like just say it properly, please. Clearly, yeah. I don't really mean that, but I do. <laughs> like I do. Like it's one of those things that I find. Like I stumble upon it whenever it happens. Steve. Particularly when they say it with slanty eyebrows. That those are the details that we're talking about. Here. <laughs> slanty eyebrows. I find it really hard. To take somebody seriously when they're talking about duty, when they're pronouncing it duty. <laughs> anyway, um, I've spoken about all the medical people standing around doing nothing, and I think that is the last of my points. Has anybody thought of anything else in the last five minutes that they haven't mentioned? Steve? I actually did. I thought there were loads of little music cues from the Wrath of Khan. I thought there were loads of little hints of, um, and I can't even think of any specifically now, but little tweaks of um, Wrath of Khan music in there. And I want to go back and watch it again and find out exactly where they are. But like three or four times, like, oh, that music's from the Wrath of Khan. Andrew? I think Kirk got a lot of that kind of, they kind of really went back to that, those like, those sort of key notes and, and sort of swelled the music a little bit. They, they really played heavily with that when, when Kirk came on screen, I think. Mm. I think when he stepped out the transporter as well, I think that was another, they, they, they definitely did that quite a bit. There's something, like I, I, like, I have to acknowledge how hard it is for the writers to find that balance between differentiating Pike from Kirk but still respecting Kirk as an important part of the franchise because you can't like they couldn't tear Kirk down completely. But you're like it, it's a really difficult space where they've they've got these characters and they're trying to respect everybody and all the characters and the legacy and all the rest of it. So like it's a difficult tightrope to walk, particularly when you give yourself such a direct comparison. Andrea, I was just going to say I think there's a difference as well. I think movie Kirk is distinct for, from original series Kirk and I think if you sit and watch original series he doesn't necessarily isn't quite a sort of he almost becomes a little bit more of a caricature of himself in the movies and I think that idea of quite gung-ho Kirk and and I think that's really perpetuated in the films um and less so in the series and I suppose that's his kind of development over life um and you would probably expect someone to 
give less of a shit and be a bit more confident as they get older. Um, you would hope that's what's going to happen to us all. Um, so they are kind of picking him up at a point like almost like before he's a captain. So they've, there's a lot to think about and a lot you can get wrong, I think, and a lot to try and get right. So it, it seems like that same character would go on that trajectory. Um, and I think a lot of people are probably expecting Kirk to behave the way Kirk behaves in the films and it, that wouldn't make any sense to me that would really jar with me um, but would probably seem more natural if you're not as familiar with, with sort of that original series content so it, it's a it's a hard place to hit and get that right I think so they, they, they've got the work cut out to keep everybody happy yeah and I think so as much as I have expressed my frustration with this episode and as much as I didn't enjoy it particularly like I totally get that there's a value to it like I, I think my only concern was if if anybody who didn't know about TOS was going to struggle the way that I did and um, whereas it seems that that's not necessarily the case so maybe this is just a Lindsay problem it's just a Lindsay problem um oh Steve so I think and I mentioned it earlier on I think that now that um all Star Trek's together on on Paramount Plus I think there's there's almost like a not an expectation, but there's a um, an idea that if you're watching Strange New Worlds, you've got the capacity to go back and watch Balance of Terror, and 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 uh, so they they don't have to um, they don't have to work so hard to make sure that you know exactly where this episode fits because you know you can next forty five minutes you can go and look at the the episode that it's based on, Lindsay. You would have to know that the episode was called Balance of Terror. You would have to know it existed. You, like I you, think you, you know, like I say, for for me, like I I had I was like I kind of thought it probably was, and then I had a moment of revelation when we got that pan round in Spock's eyebrow. Um, to be fair though, I didn't think that that's what the episode was called. I thought it was called the Romulan Incident, um, which may or may not be another episode. It may not be an episode at all. Who knows? Um, but if somebody like me is struggling to identify what it is, then Joe Vlogs is going to struggle. Uh, it's okay. Joe Bloggs, more often than not, is not going to go back and look for this episode unless they know what they're actually looking for or if they're really interested in to go look. They're just going to watch this episode. As long as this episode explains itself within that episode as to what's going on, right, it's the episode just flows. It works okay. But if a casual viewer realises that this is based on another episode, they can do a bit of research, find out where it is, and I think... TOS is still on Netflix over in the UK at the moment. It hasn't gone on to Paramount Plus. Right, so you'll be able to just watch it on Netflix and find, uh, just enjoy what the episode was uh, sort of referring to. Either way, what Joe Bloggs should be doing is listening to the Trek This Out podcast because that will help him out, won't it? Yes. Go on, Joe. Listen to our podcast. Because <laughs> clearly they've got this far into our podcast without ever having listened to our podcast. It's like, right. Total side adjunct, but you, when you go to the cinema now and they're still playing the you should come to the cinema because this experience is so different, and you're like, I am literally sitting in a cinema, you don't need to tell me why <laughs> going to the cinema is different from watching something on my phone because I've come to the cinema, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I just every time I go, the view plays this thing, and I'm like, I know, I'm here. It doesn't matter if you put dinosaurs in it, I still already knew. Going to the cinema was different from watching something on my phone while eating toast or doing whatever. Uh, right, okay. Shall we have a um, 
the feedback from our lovely listeners. Uh, right, okay. Um, so Steve, can you start with Tom for us, please? Excellent. Hi, Tom. I have Tom Turlow's feedback. A very strong end to a very strong debut run of Strange New Worlds. I haven't watched any of the original series in something like 30 years, so I'm not that familiar with the source material, but this seemed to be cleverly integrated into it. It was enjoyable to see the arrival of Jim Kirk, the definitive Trek captain, and the actor playing him did a pretty good job of portraying the character. It was all very compelling and exciting and interesting in the way it played up the importance of Spock. Sorry to see number one being metaphorically marched off in chains at the end, but this sets up the second series. I assume season two has already been commissioned, and I'm looking forward to it immensely. Four lights out of five for both this episode and the series as a whole. Suki. Season two has not only been commissioned, it's actually been completed as of this week, Woo-hoo. because uh, there's been a couple of pictures posted online from uh, the actress that plays Chapel. So it's a season two wrap. Fabulous. Andrea. She's too busy looking at pictures of my grandson. That's what it is. <laughs> I am. So I've got um, our guest from last week, Rachel Kirky, who says it was a strong finish to a great first season. Pike having to make hard choices about what to do in the future. Loved that Kirk and Spock meant to be on the Enterprise. Loved the uniforms. Thank you, Rachel. Okay, and I've got a Magnum Magnumaniac uh, at Stephen Woody, and he says quite possibly the best episode of any of the series. Every part of the episode was done with care and skill, but Scotty's accent, and then we've got the crying laughing emoji twice. Uh, bodes well for season two. Uh, and we follow that on with Sybil Trelawney, and they've said perfection on so many levels provides new insights into the events of the menagerie with a brilliant homage to two other the original series classic episodes that can't be named without spoilers. A plus entertainment. Which is the other two aren't you yeah, that's uh, interesting. Uh, the, the the obvious one, of course. Yeah. But then what's the second there's, one? So there's the menagerie that she mentions, Banners yeah. of Terror, which we which is obvious, but what's the other one then? Yeah, I don't know oh, what that was. Sybil, get in touch. Tell us what that was. Mm-hmm. Okay. I might send her a tweet. Mm. Uh, so I have uh, Blue Cat. Hello. Uh, this week I have mixed feelings. I like the episode quite well overall and like the twists they used on the old Balance of Terror, but I worry that they may use the same idea in future to rewrite an old TOS episode, which concept I'm not crazy about. It was cool to see the match at beat for beat in places, but I say this with a note of caution because the producers have been known to take things people like and hammer them into the ground. Cool to see them match at beat for beat. Sorry. Um, The time travel device was well done with Pike going into this moment of history and ultimately realising this awful fate is one he needs to honour in light of what could be lost. Here are a few scattered observations. Paul Wesley, uh, whose last name is just too perfect, Eugene Wesley Roddenberry, being our founder, is very good as Kirk. He resembles Chris Pine around the eyes, which was sort of reassuring. 
I think he gave a good performance considering he was acting opposite Anson Mount, who totally owns this show. At this point, Pike has all the charisma. I think we may be looking at a TOS reboot in a few years, possibly sooner. Oh, I really hope not. Uh, <laughs> sorry, that was me. Oh, Luke, uh, <laughs> uh, since they were so interested in parallels, I wish they'd cast James Frayne as the Romulan commander in honour of Mark Leonard's dual appearance as the Romulan commander and Sarek. Other callbacks I enjoyed Scotty's voice while Spock's fixing things in the Jeffrey's tube, Uhura's Jade's earrings, um, the music cues from TOS. I absolutely adore it when they use these. I can't think of a great many things that other people have not already noted. I love it when Spock and Pike had their conversation late in the episode and Spock said, I think I may owe you a debt of gratitude. To me, there was no need to explain Spock's devotion to Pike, but this is a nice little addition to the canon. All in all, I give it a solid four lights out of five. Thank you, Blue Cat. Do I get Jack's review to do? Oh, we've, had to, we've, had to, we've had to do Jack's all season. It's your turn. Hey, Jack. How you doing, buddy? Um, so I like it because it, it's got a title. It has a title, right? It's titled Star Trek Strange New Worlds, A Quality of Mercy. Uh, Pause. Pause. The one thought I had earlier that I forgot to mention was the title. A Quality of Mercy. I feel like I just keep jarring against it because obviously there is the quality of mercy speech, which is a mm. huge Shakespeare thing. Mm. Um, so is the reference in the title supposed to be that actually mercy comes in many ways and this is just a quality of mercy? Maybe? Yeah, we haven't really done the title, have we? Because there's a lot in there to unpack about where like, where that title comes from in that play and about mm. what it represents and therefore what that might mean to this episode. It's, um, yeah, there's a lot going on there, isn't it? I don't know. I think it's, I think they've done it deliberately, a quality rather than the quality, but I'm not quite sure which quality of mercy they're trying to suggest this episode is about. Suki. Mm. Okay. As somebody who doesn't read Shakespeare, what plays this? Uh, what are we talking about? <clears throat> well, uh, welcome to my TED talk. This, uh, <laughs> no, I'll do it quick. Although probably you may know it better than me. Anyone else want to die, jump in? Okay. So it's from... It's from The Merchant of Venice, and it's Portia um, in role as Balthazar, the lawyer, at um, Antonio's trial. And Antonio uh, owes Shylock, the um, moneylender, a pound of flesh, no more, no less, no cartilage, no bone, to um, because he hasn't repaid the debt to Shylock that he promised to give him when his ships came in. His ships sunk, and he wasn't able to repay Shylock. Shylock says he wants his pound of flesh, and Portia's saying in this speech, be merciful. You know, okay, legally, you're right to want your pound of flesh from Antonio, but the quality of mercy is not strained. Um, it falleth like drops from heaven or some, some such like that. Basically, she's saying, be merciful. You don't need to take your pound of flesh. So the, the kind of crux of the quote is, the quality of mercy is not strained upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. So the principle is that by by showing mercy, you're also granted something in return. Mm. But of course, it doesn't um, work, does it? Because presumably it Pike is showing the mercy, but by not killing the the Romulan commander and the ship, but it doesn't work. So I don't get it. He also tries to show mercy to the the future cadet, I suppose. Like, mm. like it depends on how how we take the definition of mercy in this context. Mm. But I suspect that's the whole point. It's supposed to be uh, multifaceted and deep. But I just realised we hadn't mentioned it at all. So uh, thank you, Jack, for that wonderful prompt. And now let's return to your fabulous review. 
<laughs> so, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, A Quality of Mercy. Strange New Worlds Season 1 ends on my 64th review. My third game's console was a Nintendo 64. Coincidence? Yes. Monster Maroons are back. Is Future Pike about to say Mon Capitan? James Kirk loses a, f a light for that no what? loses a light for that no matter what. Oh, he's talking about his lights that he's going to give. Sorry, James Kirk loses a light for that no matter what. Well, I'd love it if Chris Pine was Kirk. This actor is fine enough, but I do like the JJ films, especially the first. Review is on Trek This Out podcast from February the fifteenth, twenty twenty one. Less a Balance of Terror remake and more a Star Trek themed what if. Star Trek, uh, see Trek This Out June the 12th, 2021 for more on the TOS episode. Jack, I love this. You're cross-referencing previous reviews. This is awesome. <clears throat> he continues, I really like Erica Ortegas. Don't give her the racist con officer trope from uh, Balance of Terror. In both cases, Kirk and Pike unequivocally cut the racist con officer off at the stem. I'm happy that shite won't fly with either of them. The greatest example of the difference between Kirk and Pike, and why Pike's not better, just different. Which is something I told Anson Mount at Destination Star Trek 2019. But do we seriously believe that since Archer, no one's tried just hailing the Romulans? I do like Kirk thinking up bringing the ship-tier mining ships and passing them off as the charge of the Federation cavalry. But Kirk, how do you know the Romulans don't know what those ships are? Also, that they won't eavesdrop. Possible Scotty helping with the phaser repairs. I said I want Scotty, and this was a cool little blink and you miss it Easter egg. For maximum mark out points, they should have had the Romulan commander played by James Frain with no explanation. To me, this was how Pike and Kirk are different, but equally exceptional. To me, like No Time to Die, it helps redefine how a long running series beginning in the 60s can be looked on as having unappealing aspects to modern audiences. It shows it still has validity. Second time in this year of New Trek, we have a season ending in the top ranked female character being arrested. Glad the Illyrian detail didn't fall to the wayside. Overall, I don't quite understand the people who initially said this episode is the inner light in the pale moonlight or scorpion year of hell territory however it is very very close i give uh, quality of mercy 4.8 sir nasalot out of uh five yeah well done jack nice review thanks so i've got dave from the doctor who show who says excellent fantastic final episode to a great season as i think i've written to you before balance of terror is my favorite tos episode and a top five of all Star Trek for me. So seeing this tribute so lovingly done was wonderful. Seeing Pike and Kirk together did highlight how different these men are. I thought the hero worship of Spock was a little wanky, but I get it. I was gripped by every twist and turn and grinning like a fool as they repeated so many classic lines. If last week was six slides, this has to be seven. Um, so just a few comments from Dave on the, the sort of overall season. This is the most I've enjoyed Trek since Deep Space Nine finished. Whilst I've respected each of the modern Trek seasons, I've seen some seasons have felt a little bit like hard work at times. In contrast, Strange New Worlds is just enjoyable. The anthology format really is a breath of fresh air, with the diversity in style and tone each week making it a more pleasant experience. The characters also feel more real for me, although we do need more Chief Kyle. I also liked a lot of the Starfleet touches, which felt very real to me. As someone who was, in an Air, who was an Air Force officer, the crew being scared of number one, the lessons for cadets, the Enterprise bingo, invitations to the captain's table, etc. 
Also, I've been made to mention a mission is a statement of purpose. It is not an individual assignment or operation. So a five-year mission with different tasks is perfectly fine. Thank you again for the work you do on your podcast. Being able to share this show with the Trek This Out community has made it even more of a pleasure. All the best, David. Thank you, my love. Cheers, David. I'm going to ask why none of the other crews have a mission then. What's the deal? Uh, anyway, moving on. Uh, <laughs> Sarah. Right, uh, so I've got you... Darren Pickles, although I had to scroll past lots of pictures of Suki's grandson to get there. I thought we'd finished. Um, it, it, Darren it, had to it, say, it, thank it, you, I'm very happy to receive them. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Um, so Darren says, you were talking on the previous podcast about if Christina Chong, who plays La'an, would be in season two. She's talked about season two in interviews where she mentioned that Paul Wesley and herself um, were the worst gigglers whilst filming the show. This was a great episode. It was a what-if version of uh, the original series episode, Balance of Terror. I like Paul Wesley as the new Kirk. Uh, I love seeing the alternative future Pike in his Wrath of Carnes costume. However, it was a little bit distracting as I was busy looking at all the differences between this Strange New Worlds version and the original Monster Maroon uniform from Star Trek 2. I could see that the sleeves had the same pattern on as the Strange New Worlds uniform and the white collar looked a bit different and the top white straps looked too long. It was good that Pike had made peace with his horrible fate that awaits him. It was great to hear Scotty on the speakers talking to Spock and was that Chekhov I saw in sickbay? Oh, I missed that. Okay, right, need to check that out in the next watch. Um, what a cliffhanger of an ending with Una being taken away to prison. I wonder how on earth P is Pike going to sort that out? I can't wait for season two. Four and a half lights out of five. Fabulous. Well, thank you all so much for your thoughts and feelings. And ooh, we've got questions. Are there more things? Have I missed things? Um, oh, of course. We've, we've got a last minute review from Adam as well. He says that reimagined uniform, need I say any more? What a shield impact and hull exploding finale. Can we get a season two release date already? Thank you. Suki. That was a thing. They've just they filmed most of season two. And I'd have thought they would have, you know, when they released the episode, they would have put like a, a season two trailer at the end of it or something which they've done, sometimes they've done for sh other shows in the past. And that would have been a nice little touch to see what sort of future things were coming up. But Presumably if they've just finished filming, they wouldn't have done any of the post-production stuff, though. Earlier episodes they would have done. Because when they released the first trailer for Strange New World, they only released stuff from the first four episodes, five episodes. There was hardly anything from the later episodes. Maybe it was just a thought. Sorry, you don't like my head cannon, Suki. Um, <laughs> we've got some audio feedback, Suki. Would you like to introduce that for us? Yes, uh, Steve Hatcher from the Hoover's Doctor Who group. As always, he's been sending us some audio feedback, and here it is now. And here we are at the finale of this debut season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, A Quality of Mercy. Chris Pike is still troubled by the knowledge of the terrible fate that awaits him a trepidation which comes to a head when he meets a child who will grow to be one of the young officers who will die in the incident that will maim him. He determines there must be a way to avert the disaster, for his sake, but also for that of all those others who will be caught up in it. And he begins to compose a letter to all his fellow future victims, warning them to stay away from where the accident will occur. Before he can finish his missive, 
Pike is visited by a future version of himself from a reality in which he has avoided this fate. Somewhat unfortunately, this action has set into motion a change of events which has led to a cataclysm in which billions have died. Older Pike gives his younger self a time crystal which allows him to see the key moment, seven years in the future, which will lead to a devastating war between the Federation and the Romulans, and younger Pike finds himself living those events. The events in question are those of the original series story, Balance of Terror, in which James Kirk found himself in a standoff with the captain of a Romulan bird of prey, which has attacked and destroyed a Federation outpost on the edge of the neutral zone. However, with Pike having now avoided his career-ending injury, it's he, rather than Kirk, who is in command of the Enterprise, with Kirk, Paul Wesley, commanding the USS Farragut, providing support. Things go horribly wrong, with the contrast between Pike's more cautious approach, inclined to give every chance to diplomacy and negotiation, and Kirk's propensity for taking risks which have a habit of paying off, being stark. Unfortunately, Pike's approach is less suited to this situation than Kirk's, and the standoff spirals out of control. The Romulans see a vital weakness in the Federation and declare all-out war, and, crucially, Spock is left struggling for his life, maimed horribly, suffering similar injuries to those Pike has avoided by changing history. It's the absence of Spock going forward that will lead to the galactic cataclysm, as we saw in the next generation, in the prime timeline, he is the key figure who will bring about a rapprochement between Vulcan and Romulus, but with Spock removed from the scene, there is no one to fill that role. Pike returns to his own place in time, and his older self explains that any action he takes to avoid his own unpleasant fate can only result in Spock suffering his injuries and disability in his place, and catastrophic war for the galaxy with countless millions dead. After last week's All Those Who Wonder, I did wonder how Strange New World season finale was going to top that extraordinarily strong episode. I needn't have been concerned. By revisiting one of the strongest episodes of the original series, and allowing us to see events play out in an alternative, more terrifying way, Strange New Worlds has, not for the first time this season, produced an episode fit to stand alongside the best of all Star Trek. A Quality of Mercy is a tense, exciting thriller of an episode, with plenty to please the new fan, yet with an extra layer for the long-term viewer who is familiar with Balance of Terror. There are so many delightful parallels with that original episode. The reaction of the crew when they realise that Vulcans and Romulans are related, and the subsequent mistrust of Spock by at least one of them. The fate of the Romulan captain. Ortega, mirroring original episode Helmsman's style's hawkish attitude and racism towards Spock. The first Strange New World's appearance of Montgomery Spot, Spock. Uh, Montgomery Scott albeit only as a voice heard over a communicator. Even the Rom Romulan commander's parting line, in a different reality I could have called you a friend. If handled badly, these touches could have smacked a fan service or worse, but here they're just superb and do nothing but add to the enjoyment of the episode. Of course, the biggest callback to the original series is the Strange New World's debut of James Kirk, played by Paul Wesley. Wesley, probably sensibly, makes no attempt to be the Kirk of William Shatner, there are none of those very familiar mannerisms, and neither is he Chris Pine's Kirk. This is a new interpretation of the character and a strong performance, which I'm sure will go down well. I look forward to seeing more of him in Season 2. So the voyages of the Starship Enterprise continue with its captain forced to confront the reality that he cannot avoid the devastating fate that lies in store for him without passing that fate on to his friend Spock, and in so doing creating a horrific future for the galaxy. 
In accepting this, Pike appears to find some peace, and the cloud that has been over the captain throughout this season seems to have lifted. However, no sooner has he moved on from this future problem than another more immediate one faces him, one that threatens to rob him of one of his most trusted lieutenants. And so the season ends on a cliffhanger, and what a season it's been. These ten episodes have been packed with thrills, danger, excitement, action and adventure, but also with light character moments, well-played sentiment and comedy. It's a series that has ranged from perhaps the silliest Star Trek episode for many years to the most overtly horrific that the franchise has ever produced. Not one of those episodes has been less than good, and perhaps there's only one that I'd rate as anything other than excellent. Christopher Pike has jumped to the front of my list of favourite Trek captains. Ethan Peck has been a wonderful spark, struggling with his human emotions and bridging the gap between the young half-Vulcan we saw in the cage to the more mature version we are familiar with from the original series and beyond. The three-way relationship between Spock, T'Pring and Christine Chappell has been a delight. Those members of cast who have been tasked with recreating characters with whom we were already familiar, Anson Mount, Ethan Peck, Celia Rose Gooding, Babs and Mokun, Rebecca Romain, Jess Bush and now Paul Wesley, have all done terrific jobs of making those characters their own. And in Bruce Horak's Hemmer, Christina Chong's Laan and Melissa Navia's Ortega, we have three great new characters. How Hemmer, and perhaps Laan too, will be missed in season two. It's been an extraordinarily strong season, even better than we might have hoped for. I cannot wait for season two, which has already completed filming. Do we really have to wait a year to see it? Fabulous. So it only behoves us to do our lights out of five, and then we can discuss the important matter of our red shirt. How many lights you see? There are four lights! I asked how many lights you see. Um, let us go in our new and standard order. Steve, what are your lights out of five? Well, uh, seeing as uh, it's got to either be four or five, because anything in between is not acceptable. You cannot make parts of a light. It doesn't work if you've only got a part of a light. So I'm going to go five. There are five lights. There are five lights. Excellent. Excellent episode. Great fun. Uh, lots of little holes that we've already talked about, but all the more beautiful for them. Okay, fabulous. Andrea? Five likes. <laughs> um, I haven't, usually when I love an episode, I find myself nitpicking ridiculously and I couldn't even do that. Like, even when I'm going to give it five, I normally like manage to tear loads of holes in it and give it five anyway, but yeah, I didn't even do that. So, so yeah, five. You couldn't nitpick and you couldn't eat the biscuit neither. I couldn't. Oh, yeah. biscuit, it just hovered. Like, it nearly like fell in my tea. Like, it was like a biscuit minefield. This episode took the biscuit. It, absolutely <laughs> well See you uh, I'm going to go five lights I really really enjoyed it um, despite all of our issues and comments I, yeah I quite I liked it because of those as well I like timey-wimey stuff though I do love a good time travel episode it's not like I'm not like one of these people who doesn't like holodeck episodes and therefore a holodeck episode is always going to be like zero I do like time travel like, I like Voyager. you got to like time travel if you like Voyager. <laughs> Andrea? I was just going to say, if anyone's playing um, Trek This Out Bingo, I think Timey Wimey can count as a Doctor Who reference, so... <laughs> uh, Wibbly wobbly. <laughs> my, there's, my Doctor reference is Genesis of the Daleks. Having been, instead of being sent to the future, uh, the Doctor's been sent to the past to change things for the future. It's just something that I, I, I immediately thought of when uh, we went into this timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly episode. 
I made a reference to the USS Relativity, which is obviously a Voyager reference. So you're sound. If you're playing bingo, you're good. Suki. Uh, I am going to give this five lights out of ten. As, uh, five lights out of... How many are we giving it? Five lights out of five as well. <laughs> so, yeah, excellent episode. Really enjoyable. Uh, good callbacks. Uh, great performances. Fantastic visual effects. And the cameos, really, really outstanding. Great, 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 great. So I'm going to caveat my score by saying this is a score of my personal enjoyment of the episode. So I'm going to give it a two um, because it just made me crazy. Like, it just made me crazy. Like, I, I told, I'm really happy that you guys have loved it. I'm really happy that everybody is super excited. But I think this is what I was concerned that the entirety of Strange New Worlds was going to be. Something that doesn't really work for me. Um, so anyway, like I'm super glad that I've enjoyed the rest of the season, and I'm super glad that that you guys have loved it. But for me, it just didn't didn't work for me. Um, however, that's not the end of the world. Um, and on that note, I'm now going to mention the word red shirt. Um, and if I hadn't already sealed my fate by forgetting the name of one of our co-hosts, we've worked with regularly now, and whom I would like to consider um, a friend of the internet variety. I woke up this morning, put on my red shirt. Oh. So let's do red shirt. Steve, would you like to start? Yeah, I would. I would, uh, Lindsay. Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much. Um, despite your best efforts to literally red shirt me by not giving me a character name at the beginning of the episode, which which uh, pretty much seals my fate, doesn't it? I, I am absolutely still going to redshirt you for that. That is that is unforgivable, and you are. I'm hoping a horrific motion picture esque transporter accident is coming your way. That's how that's how you want to go. That's quite extreme. Uh, Andrea, <laughs> are you still there, lovely? I am. I was. Uh, I don't know what's happened to this thing. The camera seems to have gone off. Um, so I was going to redshirt Lindsay for the four part at the start because I think we've always stuck together for sort of generic female host um, various mistakes. And then Sucky came like in like 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 presented a charge later on by doing the same thing. Um, but because you've given that episode to, um, I'm going to redshirt you. I'm afraid. <laughs> Fair. So, um, I redshirted Lindsay last time I was on, and uh, while I feel there is much to recommend her for the role this time, I am actually going to redshirt Ducky for accusing my perfectly innocent question and my husband's very able response to it as being rehearsed. Like, our marriage is just some sort of sham. sham. So, yes, I am definitely redshirting you for that slight (laughs) on my very innocent query. Now, if you'd have noticed what we was, if you, everybody been watching what we were seeing on screen, the way that the pair of you came together to ask that question, right, it just seemed like, it's your cue, darling, it's your cue, darling, (laughs) it's your turn now, my darling, and it just... So uh, that's why I thought it's rehearsed. This is what twenty-six years of love and understanding looks like. So you know, we're also just seeing Suki being on the spot head cannoning for his own decisioning, yes. as previously discussed. His skill for making up a backstory on the spur. He's now doing a thing. Uh, Suki, sweetheart, petal flower, light of my life. Who are you right. redshirting? Well, 
I was going to, because we all know Lindsay's Canadian and her Scottish accent sometimes just goes all over the place. So I was going to, I was going to uh, redshirt Lindsay, but I, I thought no. And then just before we recorded the episode, Steve did a wonderful Sarah impression. But again, that went a bit off the rails. You weren't in the room, Sarah. So, you know, it was, uh, it was oh, so you were, it was great. I was going to uh, uh, nominate Steve for doing that horrendous impression, you know, just uncalled for. But uh, well, I'm actually going to nominate Andrea. Do you know why? Because she's been sitting there for the whole episode in a Star Wars T-shirt <laughs> instead of a Star Trek T-shirt. She's been sitting there, right, flaunting her T-shirt in our faces. And I'm thinking, no, it's just not on. Absolutely not on. So, so it's going to be Andrea. Okay, so just to recap, we now have, I have two scores, Suki has one, Andrea has one, um, and I have the deciding vote. <laughs> so all I can decide is that Suki is coming out with me because he did, in fact, make the actual generic female host error, which, to be fair, you haven't in a while. This is the first I time in no, a while. No, I thought I'd do it for the finale. I, I have got a note here, make sure generic female host error. Good. So that was double red shirt because it was so that <laughs> in the motion picture there it is two characters who get um a transporter ripped apart isn't it so it kind of works that works yeah okay well apparently suki and i are about to go and be destroyed by a transporter accident thank you all so much for listening we really do appreciate the fact that you are interested in our random ramblings um sometimes more coherent than others um, and we really appreciate the effort and time you take to write in and let us know your thoughts as well it's always lovely to hear from you um, so much like Star Trek itself, we're going to take a little break now. Isn't that exciting? I think is it 48 weeks of Trek that have now been solidly. Now, we haven't covered every single one of those, but we've covered quite a lot. So I think it's time to have a little pause. Um, but we will no doubt be back covering your favourites, our favourites, some random episodes. Who knows? You'll have to listen out find out in the future. As you do follow us on Twitter, if you don't, um, you can find us at Trek This. Out, out pod she says trying to remember at trek without pod um and you can also find us on facebook if that is where you prefer to hang out thank you again uh, to my lovely co-host for this episode andrea thank you etsuke oh thank you uh, the more mature half of the davis flyer log contingent oh dear <laughs> no they're both what the more I? mature half they're both oh, the more okay. mature half. Yeah, <laughs> Their daughters are the other half who are, by definition, less old than them. Oh, good grief. Wow, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been great up. having you. Uh, I've had a blast. I hope you guys have too. Uh, bye. 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 Bye